That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it with all the people, uh, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places while, uh, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Uh, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Skip over to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. It's always good when Jesus tells us what he means, so it's not left up to our interpretation here. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus chooses this parable of a farmer sowing seeds in a field. If I was there, I would have hoped he would have said something about sports, right? But he chooses the agricultural stuff, and you'll find that Jesus does that, and the reason is because he lived in an agricultural society. Most people, this is what they did. It might not be what he would choose to use in an illustrative way were he to come speak to us, but it does have this everlasting, ringing through the centuries, easy way to understand this analogy. And so we're grateful to the Spirit's work and inspiring that and and illuminating it to us. A farmer goes, and so if you're like me, here are some of the first questions you ask. The farmer goes and scatters seed. Now, I am not a good farmer, okay? Rachel's grandfather lives on a farm, and I'm amazed by the massive work that he must have to to have had to accomplish. Uh, He's older now, and so he rents out his fields. But back in the day, not only to deal with the animals and to tend to all the chores, but to deal with the mass of fields. And the other week, we were traveling through Lancaster, and in the Amish culture, as you may or may not know, um, they still do it the old way. So we saw a man uh, with a yoke of mules plowing a field, uh, old school, and we saw them doing all kinds of other things, too, uh, to the fields. But it's unbelievable the amount of work that happens in it. So, if you're like me, if I know that I'm tasked with this huge task of of seeding this entire field, I'd be very careful to make sure that I did my job as easy and as quick and as, as best as I possibly could. So why is this man scattering seeds on paths? And why is he putting it where thorns grow? And why is he putting it where rocks are? Why would he not just use his effort to put it on the good stuff, is my first question. Well, 
you have to understand uh, the way that society was back in those days. So the farmer's fields actually had paths and roads that would sometimes come right through them or sometimes separate them directly from the field next to them. So you have the passages where the Jesus and the disciples are walking by the fields on the Sabbath and they pick the heads of grain and eat them because these paths literally do walk right against the field. So it would make sense that seeds would go into a path. It would make sense that seeds would grow amongst thorns because when he's sowing the seeds, he's not tossing them into a pile of thorns. You know in your yards or places where you live that weeds arrive whether you intended them to or not. I mean, they are just like the vile agricultural creatures of our world. They show up everywhere. They don't need good things to grow, and they're, they're unbelievably reproductive. And then the rocky deposits make sense because it's not that there are these undealt with boulders or stones in the farmer's field, he would have already taken care of them when he cultivated the soil. But deep underneath the ground, or at least far enough underneath the ground, would be large deposits of rock, say like limestone in our day, that couldn't have been removed by a farmer himself, but would have left soil shallow. These, I think, make, help us make better sense of the parable that Jesus is telling Because when I was growing up, I would always think, well, why would you put a seed in a pile of rocks? But the reality is that what's underneath is unknown to the sower, right? And so that is the effect that's going on here. And so as we think about our hearts in relation to how we receive and understand the gospel and Jesus himself, this is what Jesus is after. So there are different kinds of soils. The sower comes... And so is the seed. The seed is the word of God, the word of the kingdom, which is the revelation of God, Jesus himself, and the message of the gospel going forward. And some of it lands on the paths. And it can't go anywhere. It never penetrates the soil because these paths are so hardened by constant traffic of animals and people walking on them that they're pounded down in. And all they are good for is producing dust in the air. There can be no penetration. There's no good, soft Soil, so that the seed just sits on the ground and is easy prey for the birds of the air. Now, I digress for a moment, but he says in the beginning of chapter 13, just so you, so you follow my, my, my mind here. So he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. That's verse 4, right? How does Jesus interpret birds? Uh, verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches it away. So, point one in our theology this morning is that birds are really from Satan. And, and I know this to be true because I was attacked by a bird one time. I was sitting, the first, uh, first house Rach and I were ever, ever lived in, I was sitting with the window open at the computer, sending an email or something like that, and this rogue bird came flying. This is a true story. I wish that it wasn't true. This rogue bird came flying in the window, beak first into the side of my head, smashed right into me. And birds and I, things with wings and I from that point on, we don't, I just don't, I'm afraid of them. I don't like them. They fly, they have power, and I just, I just want them gone. Rach wants to build birdhouses and take pictures of birds and watch them. I want them gone, right? Everything is, a, is the bird's toilet, and the birds fly around. And so I love this interpretation. This is right from Jesus. The evil one snatches them. I, this, I've digressed long enough. I apologize. I have an axe to grind with winged creatures. But in all seriousness, birds of the air come and pick them up. The evil one comes and snatches them away. What is the, what is the idea here? It's that 
people who hear the gospel in this way, they lack understanding. They have not understood the gospel. It has not penetrated them. And we can, we can say this in two ways. First, they've intellectually rejected the gospel. And so it has never penetrated them at all. They've said that this doesn't make sense. G- Paul wrote that the gospel is foolishness to those who reject it. And we experience that all the time. I shared the gospel with someone a, f- a few weeks ago, uh, right outside here, and rejected immediately. This happens all the time. This is the hard soil, the, the hard trodden paths. The seed it can't get in there. There's intellectual rejection to the gospel. But it goes farther than that, because for some, there's intellectual reception to the gospel, but that's it. And so there's really no penetration below ground, as it were. Sometimes, you've ever seen that, that a seed can sort of half germinate when, it, when it's not underground, but it, never, it can never really do anything full, you know. There's intellectual reception to the gospel, but it never penetrates the heart. And so we have tons of people in our world who are professing Christians who fill pews and seats and chairs and watch church things on TV and wear crosses and pray to God, but they have never embraced the gospel. They're like this hard and worn path that the seed has fallen on and has never penetrated, and so it can never grow roots, it can never transform the soul, it can never beautify it on the outside, because it's just this, this once-and-done thing. This lack of understanding. And so I ask, as Jesus would have asked in implication here, how's the soil of your heart? How's the soil of the heart of your neighbors? Co-workers, your family. Well, some seed falls on rocky ground. And so there's this large rock deposit. Think about it like limestone or some this massive rock deposit underneath the ground at some level. And so the seed goes in there, and at first it springs up, and there's great growth to it, and there's great rejoicing, it says. It's met with great joy, and there's boom, it goes right to the to the top because there's nowhere for it to go underneath. But the problem is that when things get going rough for this seed, when the sun comes out, it scorches it and it dies. And Jesus says that these people, they, they run away from the gospel. When they face persecution or trials from the word, they hit the bricks. There's that old saying about it's too hot in the kitchen, right? And this is this seed. This is this seed. It's a shallow heart. The gospel has been received with a shallow heart. The gospel has been received this time all in emotion. And in many ways, this person receives the gospel of Jesus as a blesser, not a savior. And so this person receives Jesus as someone who's coming to fix their life, not change their heart. This person receives the gospel as someone who's coming, a Jesus who's coming to bless them and make things go better, not someone who's coming to forgive them for their sins. And so it springs up because they need help. They realize that. Their life is broken and they receive it and it springs up with great joy. But when they realize that life is still hard and all of the t-shirts that you can buy at the boardwalk are true, true, 
then this Jesus thing isn't so cool anymore. Tim Keller uh, has said that what we really find out about these people is that when the heat is turned up on them and they run away, their actual God was not Jesus, but what they lost when the heat was turned up. And so I ask you, as Jesus would have implied with this parable, how is the soil of your heart? What is your response when things don't go your way? When bad news comes? When bad things always happen to good people? It's the soil of the hearts of your neighbors, your co-workers, your family. Some seed falls amongst the thorns. And so when it grows up, it grows up like regular, but it grows up amongst weeds. And so you've got this, uh, what I would call, divided heart. The gospel is received not by a hard heart, not by a shallow heart, but by a divided heart. And so here we have lack of lordship, really. The gospel is received, but at a distance, because we're holding on to other things. What does Jesus say about the thorns? This is Jesus' interpretation to the disciples about the thorns. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus points to two things very specifically. Two things. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And these realities choke out the growth of the gospel in us. The transformation that Jesus intends to happen in our lives. What are the worries of this life? Well, James would write in James chapter 4, verse 4, that Uh, Those who are friends with the world are enemies of God. And you can't say that you're a friend of the world and a friend of God because it isn't true. Now, James and John are good at writing these very stark contrasts like this. And Jesus is getting at this very notion here. You can't be friends with the world and be a friend of God. If you're holding on to the things of this world and holding on to Jesus, you're a divided heart. Your seed growing amongst thorns, and you're being choked out. I mean, look at your life. Is there fruit? Is there real growth? Is the gospel really transforming who you are? Seeds can't grow amongst thorns and be fruitful. You can't hold on to worldliness and hold on to the gospel because they're antithetical to each other. If you're pursuing the things of this world, how can you be pursuing the things of the gospel? If you're pursuing your own life, how can you be what Jesus calls us to do in taking up a cross and giving up our life? If you're pursuing the things of this world, creating a kingdom for yourself, how is your focus not on you but on God? It isn't. And so there's fruitlessness. The weeds and the thorns that grow up around you are choking it out. Friends, this is the reality of many, if not most, followers of Jesus myself included, and if we're all being honest, all of us to some degree. We want more of Jesus, but not at the cost of less of what we want. 
I was uh, mowing the lawn yesterday, and the story I'm about to tell is like really good on one hand and really bad on the other hand, and I'll tell you why in a second. I was mowing the lawn the other day, and as I'm mowing the lawn, I start to like have, have these thoughts impressed upon me about certain things that I, that, that I feel like God would have me to do in terms of contacting a few people and some things and ways we, we need to move forward and things like that. And it's really great because it's awesome to have those moments with God. But it's really bad because it happened mowing the lawn. Does this mean that I have to do more of that? Like mow the lawn more often in the heat of the summer? But, but the reality of it is, as I, as I thought about it after the fact, I finally was alone with my thoughts. I wasn't crowded out by the noise of this world, by caring for children, by caring for my wife, by caring for the church, by watching sports, by watching TV, by needing to go to sleep, by all these other things. I was finally alone. And it was as if God finally had a moment to say something. And so I wonder, I mean, in the midst of the noise of our life, how often is there no space for God to speak in the way that he wants to direct and move us. And this is just like being choked out by weeds. And then the deceitfulness of wealth. Now Jesus makes this unbelievable statement uh, at a different place where he says that it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, have you ever seen the eye of a needle? And you've seen a camel, right? You understand what Jesus is attempting to say here. He's not making a joke. He's telling a true statement. But what is the reality of this? Does it really mean that anyone who accumulates wealth has no chance of living in the kingdom of God? It can't mean that. But what Jesus understands, especially about the person he's talking to in the context there, is that when wealth is accumulated, so often it becomes the thing that life is held onto and held together by. So much so that it chokes out the growth of the seed of the gospel. When's the last time you felt dependent upon God as an American? The poorest American is rich compared to half the world, right? And so Jesus isn't just talking to Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or anyone like this. I mean, when's the last time we honestly felt dependent upon God for sustenance? Now, I'm not suggesting to you that the task for the next four weeks is to, as Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, right? Maybe God will speak to you when you mow the lawn. I don't know. But what I am saying to you is how much has the comfort of our put-together lives as Western people kept us from fully embracing the gospel and fully being changed and transformed by it, allowing that seed of the kingdom of God to fully germinate and bear in us what Christ intends to bear in us. Seed in the thorny soil is fruitless because there's a lack of lordship. What would the church look like 
what would your life look like if Jesus really was Lord? If he just wasn't the one that you prayed to and through to receive your daily bread, but if he really was the one who defined your life's call and vocation, then how different would the move of the church be? It would no longer be these things that gather on Sunday. (laughs) It would totally be an exuding force to the world around us. And that's our vision here at this church. Not necessarily to, to just build up Sunday morning things, but to enable and equip people to go and do the things that Jesus has called, gifted, and empowered them to do. And in many ways, that's the same for all of us. And in many ways, it's unique for you. How has that been choked out by holding so tightly to the things of this world or our financial stability or the American dream? I once saw a preacher illustrate this point in a different way. He began grabbing things all around him. Right? So you can imagine if I would grab this, this stand here and then grab that cross and then grab a chair, eventually you can't, there's no more room to hold on to anything. And it looks silly to look like, but that If your life is anything like mine and you're honest and looking at the depths of your heart, you'll find that you are holding so tightly to so many things of this world. And it's choking out the fruitfulness that God intends to work in your life through Jesus. And so I ask you, as Jesus would have implied in telling this parable, how is the soil in your heart? How's the soil in your neighbor's heart? How's the soil in your coworker's heart? How's the soil in your family's heart? Jesus says that then there's seed that falls on good ground, well cultivated ground. And it not only grows up, but the harvest is a hundred or fifty or thirty times what is sown. Now, history shows us that a harvest eight times what is sown was a prolific harvest in those days. So what Jesus is in fact telling you and those who hear is the harvest that Jesus intends to happen in your life through the fruit of the Spirit that's manifested when you're fully given to Him as Lord and to the Gospel as your life's story and narrative is nothing short of miraculous. It's nothing that you could ever have happen. It's nothing that you could ever produce on your own. It's way more than eight times. It's 30 times, 50 times, 100 times. This is what is possible for your life. A life fully given to Christ, fully defined by the gospel, fully transformed by the realities of the gospel, fully given to it is a life bearing miraculous fruit. You might ask, well, what is the fruit? Peace. Have you ever wanted peace? Patience. Have you ever needed patience? 
kindness. I know that every word that comes out of your mouth is completely kind. Goodness. Self-control. Love. Gentleness. So on and so forth. The fruits of the Spirit that are not just virtues that we can sort of add on to our character and good behavior, and over time we'll learn these and get really good at them because we've trained ourselves in them. No, when our life is fully given to Christ, when our life is fully defined by the reality of the gospel, when we are fully transformed, not just intellectually as we are adherents of Christian faith, but we are sinners who are transformed through the forgiveness of the gospel that is ours through Jesus Christ and Him alone, then the fruit of the Spirit begin to manifest in us. And so, I ask you, as Jesus would imply through his parable, how is the soil of your heart? And if you don't know how to answer this question, he gives us a very simple way to analyze it. Tell me about the fruit in your life. How, what are people coming up to you and saying, you know what, I was blessed by what I saw. You know, this is what I see happening in you. How is your wife or your husband coming to you and saying, you know, this is, I see Jesus in you in this way. Or are you just maintaining this status quo of unfruitlessness? I would suggest to you that your life is full of thorns. Or maybe it's not growing deep roots in a rocky ground. How is your fruit? The reason that there are statistics like there are in our city, where 2.8% of people are followers of Jesus and the rest are not, is not because people aren't speaking the gospel. Is not because churches aren't prolific enough. But it is because Christians are living fruitless lives fully devoid of the power of the Spirit, fully disconnected from the life-changing flow of the Gospel, and fully unconvinced of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. So maybe you're looking at your life and you're thinking, gosh, full of rocks. Or I have a hard heart and nothing is descending into my heart. Or my life is full of thorns. There's too much in the world. I can't give it up. Does the farmer ever go to the soil and say, get rid of your rocks, soil. They're really causing me to not have a good harvest. Does the farmer ever go to the sprouting plants and say, why would you let weeds grow next to you? No. It's the farmer's job to get rid of the thorns. It's the farmer's job to dig low and remove the rocks. But it is the soil's job to receive the seed. And so Jesus makes this famous statement that he makes at almost all of these parables. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If your life is full of thorns, 
If your life is full of rocks, if your path is hard, if you're really desirous of something different, do you think that God would not come in and remove those things from you? If you're desirous of something different, if you're looking for forward movement in your Christian life, if the status quo is not okay for you, if you've just been treading water for years and years and years, if you look back over the last X number of years and there's no growth in your life, you can pinpoint it to this one reality that you need more of Christ and less of you. That you need more of Jesus and less of you. And it is possible now if the gospel will be your story. Is Jesus a Savior and He's Lord? You know, sometimes, though the parable illustrates Jesus as the sower, sometimes we're sowers too, aren't we? And we take up the call of Jesus to take this message out there. And so we'd be remiss if we didn't just make these next two points really quickly. Because we've been tasked with this cause to make the kingdom of God known to this community. But look how the kingdom of God comes. As a seed. I can think of all kinds of metaphors that would make me feel much better about being on Team Jesus and moving the gospel forward, right? Bulldozers, um, wrecking balls, (laughs) I don't know, something like with mass force, an army, something that like would, you'd just be like, yeah. But the gospel comes as a seed that is simply cast. Armies come and conquer. And they leave ruins. Bulldozers blaze new paths, but never construct anything. Wrecking balls can knock down large buildings, but leave them in shambles. Seed comes, and when there is sun and water and nutrients from the ground, it transforms a whole landscape. And it multiplies. And over time, a field that maybe was even started with one or two seeds over years and years and years of growth becomes not an empty field, but a field of what has been planted. And so is our task. So don't ever stop sowing the seed. We are not bulldozers. To go in boldness doesn't mean that you have to knock on a door or smack someone around. To sow a seed means that you befriend and love. That you care, that you are present. Not just now, but through the long haul. 
And to be a good sower, and I think here's the ramification that is so important for us to understand. Because I always, and not necessarily anyone taught me this, but I always grew up sort of understanding that, well, you know, you just, your task is just to sow the seed, man. And wherever it lands, you know, God's going to do with it what he's going to do with it. And sometimes it's going to go in the rocky soil. What are you going to do? Sometimes it's going to go in the path. Sometimes it's going to hit that good soil and it's going to spring up. And there's truth to that. We, the sovereignty of God is real and we adhere to it. And it's absolutely true. Those who come to God are drawn to God by him, by himself. Truth taught in scripture, undeniable, absolutely correct. It does not lessen your call to cultivate good soil. We cannot simply proclaim soil rocky and therefore not able to germinate a seed. You need to roll up the sleeves, get the sweat towel, get a shovel and get some friends and start digging out some rocks. Put on gloves and start pulling out the thorns so that seed can grow. When you're a sower, you're a cultivator. You're softening hard soil. You're removing rocks from rocky ground. You're pulling thorns from thorny ground, that so that eventually when these seeds grow, thorns aren't growing up alongside of them. And so your cause to this world is that, and your cause to each other is no different. Far be it from us to look in judgment and dispersion on the person next to us because of the thorns that are growing in their life. Why don't you put on a pair of gloves and in love help them pull some out? Why not bring your shovel over and help them dig a little deeper. And then in love, receive from them the help of removing the rocks and thorns in your life too. The parable of the sower. There are different kinds of soils. How is the soil of your heart? And when you take up the call to sow, how are we doing it? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness as a loving sower. The story of a God who would come from heaven to pursue. This is not a God who simply casts seeds and wherever it falls, that's what happens. You came after those you loved. We were once enemies, Scripture tells us, but now we are friends. <laughs> and so, Spirit, would you continue the work in us of cultivating good soil? Would you cause us to put our guards down far enough to let others in to help cultivate good soil? And would you send us to soften, cultivate, sow, reap, and harvest in this place what you have called us to do. We ask it in your name. Amen.